Canada is a trading nation. Throughout our history, trade has been one of the foundations of our economy. Equally important has been the establishment of rules for international trade as a critical priority for our government. As the economy evolves, so too must our trade rules. This episode, we're going to hear how recent trade agreements are shaping Canada's ability to regulate our digital economy. Matt Malone, Assistant Professor at the Faculty of Law at Thompson Rivers University, talks to us about research he conducted for the Conference Board of Canada on the interactions between trade agreements and critical issues for Canadians. I'm Michael Bassett, and this is the Leadership Perspective Series from the Conference Board of Canada. Each episode, we sit down with an expert or experts to hear their perspectives on an issue that's affecting the lives of Canadians. My guest this episode is Matt Malone. He's an assistant professor at the Thompson Rivers University Faculty of Law in Kamloops. His main interests are in the law of trade secrets. Matt has recently conducted some research for the Conference Board of Canada on the effect of trade negotiations on domestic laws. Matt, welcome to Leadership Perspectives. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Matt, the work that you did for us it highlighted that international trade agreements, whether those are bilateral or multinational, they're advancing some pretty critical issues to Canadians like privacy and innovation. Those agreements are sometimes, as you found in your research, leaving domestic laws either left behind or almost irrelevant. Is this a problem that you think is getting worse? Or is it something that trade agreements and trade laws have always had to contend with? It's that interaction between the international and the domestic. This is a dynamic that's classic and hasn't changed. But what has changed are a few dynamics that are causing us to shift our attention, a shift in the importance of provisions concerning innovation, the digital economy, big data, and these types of things. At the end of the day, this is a classic dynamic, but we're seeing a shift for a few different reasons. In the early 90s, we had an agreement, the Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Rights Agreement, TRIPS, that set a baseline for intellectual property protections around the world. And most countries in the world are signatories to TRIPS. Since TRIPS was ratified and countries around the world, including Canada, made sure that their domestic laws reflected the obligations under TRIPS, we've seen a new layer of agreements come into place, bilateral and multilateral agreements, regional trade agreements as well, that are enhancing the provisions that TRIPS set forth. TRIPS was like a floor. It spoke in really broad terms. It covered a lot of areas in a way that you could consider a rough brushstroke. But new trade agreements are coming along, and they're adding this extra layer of protection. And they're specifically focusing, in the last five years, on areas in the digital economy that are gaining really significant importance for Canada and for Canadians. My particular area of research is trade secrets. NAFTA mentions trade secrets 11 times, and KUSMA mentions trade secrets 33 times. So we're seeing a huge rise in the amount of attention, the amount of real estate that these trade agreements are giving to new areas that are really important to the digital economy. And at the same time that that's happening with trade agreements, law and policy makers in Canada are responding to this really urgent desire to regulate big tech and to regulate the high technology sector. You could look at efforts in the current parliament with the Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act, 
or you could look at Bill C-18, the Online News Act. That's just the current parliament. In the previous parliament, we've had other efforts like the Digital Charter Implementation Act. I wanted to draw a line between enhanced provisions that build on TRIPS and domestic efforts through law and policy to rein in and govern technology. There were a couple case studies that specifically caught my attention. One of them was when the federal government announced this effort last year to introduce the digital services tax on big tech companies. The United States responded by saying that this is a unilateral tax that violates international treaties. And so it created this perfect example of the conflict between international obligations on one hand and a domestic effort on the other hand. Another case study that caught my attention that demonstrated this clash was in a defamation lawsuit that involved Twitter in British Columbia. Twitter invoked a provision in Kusma that immunized it from liability, running counter to Canadian law. These case studies showed to me that this is certainly a problem that Canadian lawmakers and policymakers are facing. Do the international laws always trump the domestic laws in those examples? The interaction of international law with domestic law can't really be boiled down to one trumping the other. The interaction is fluid. And I think in a lot of regards, it's based on non-legal dynamics, including power. They're being undermined because they run contradictory to the direction of Canadian law and policy. To the extent that that continues, it undermines Canada's ability to set forth laws that are robust, that stand on their own feet, and that aren't subject to easy challenge. And whether that challenge is happening domestically in a court in Canada or whether that's happening internationally, all of that factors into dynamics that are really adjacent to the law. But it goes to speak to why it's so important for us to make our domestic law as coherent as possible with the treaty obligations that we're adhering to when we sign the treaty at the end of the day. And you found in your research that these new rules are particularly important as it relates to the digital economy. Why is it that the digital economy is so impacted by these negotiations and new set of agreements? We're seeing the rise of the digital economy outpace the growth of the normal economy. And obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic accelerated this trend. I focus on four areas in this paper. All of them are relevant to issues that are coming up in the digital economy. The proliferation of laws around trade secrets, provisions that are putting up restrictions on the disclosure of source code, and then data localization, which is where data is stored, and data flows, which are restrictions on how data flows over networks. For most people, these are all abstract concepts. The way in which we're seeing the side effects of big tech are at once more important and more visible. It's things like the inability of our government to properly tax revenue at the source where it's being collected. We've seen high technology sector companies collect massive amounts of revenue from Canadians' data. We've had a huge challenge in how to tax that and collect taxes on that. We've also seen this problem with competition. A lot of these high technology sector actors are profiting from economies of scale that are narrowing the range of new actors to arise in these markets. How data localization, data flows, source code disclosure obligations 
are impacting competition itself, it may seem a little nuanced, but it's actually very crucial if all of the data can be hoarded by certain actors and you have provisions and trade treaties that are explicitly protecting that, that's also a problem. One of the things I've always advocated for is that we need strong made in Canada solutions. A lot of the provisions that I identify for the purpose of this issue briefing are really coming out of the United States Trade Representative's Office. And they've been coming to the United States Trade Representative Office from lobbies, from high technology sector actors who are advocating that the United States, when they negotiate their trade agreements, get these kinds of robust provisions put into trade agreements specifically for the purposes of protecting and entrenching their power. The United States Trade Representative Office released a report every year called the Special 301. And that report is basically a map of what American trade negotiators are going to seek in intellectual property provisions in future trade agreements. The trade representative specifically creates that report on the basis of input from industry. And the industry that provides that input are lobbies for all of these large stock market actors. My understanding is that trade negotiations tend to be additive. We're always looking for other concessions. Are there negotiations that are happening now where these issues are in play and there's an opportunity to either address the challenges that are happening or to maintain that bar wherever it is so that it's not further eroded? There definitely are. Right now, the most famous example is the Canada-UK agreement that's being negotiated, this new bilateral agreement. What has happened since Brexit is Canada and the UK entered a series of rounds of trade negotiations. Just to underscore how important digital economy items are to this round of negotiations, it was really interesting to look at the press releases that were put out by both the UK and Canada. There's a statement from the UK who said that this agreement is going to have more focus on innovation and data and digital economy than any other trade agreement we've had before. We can definitely anticipate that the digital chapter and the intellectual property chapter in this trade agreement are going to have a strong emphasis on things that we're already seeing pop up in other trade agreements like KUSMA, like the US-Chinese agreement from 2020. Trade agreements are additive. They're also largely exercise in copy and paste. It's very much following what's happening in peer countries and allied countries. What we're likely to see come out of this process is already evident in the processes that have come out of the trade negotiations between Australia and the UK and New Zealand and the UK. Both of them have specific sections on source code, cross-border data flows, trade secrets. The language that we're going to expect into the Canada-UK trade agreement is language that's already visible in those agreements. The New Zealand agreement has some better drafting it includes a stronger emphasis on carve-outs for public interests. The trade negotiators for that agreement did a more artful job of creating ways in which the provisions that are being agreed to can be limited in the general public interest. I think that that agreement is actually a good one for us to follow. Any other key recommendations you might provide on those negotiations to avoid some of the more challenging components of these new negotiations for Canadian domestic law or for Canadians in general? 
The general theme is that Canada needs to do a much better job of anticipating what's coming by drafting its own model laws. It's no surprise that in a few years, Canada is going to have some kind of statute for civil remedial relief of trade secret misappropriation. That's coming. It's not a surprise. And yet, we don't really have anyone out there putting forward a model law. Likewise, prohibitions against the disclosure of source code as a condition of doing business are appearing in just about every digital chapter of a treaty that has a digital chapter. And yet, we are letting our access to information laws ossify as this becomes a more important issue. Our Access to Information Act was written in the mid-80s, and it hasn't really substantively been updated since then. We're putting out things like the Directive on Open Government, the Directive on Automated Decision-Making, the Directive on Service and Digital. Even though we've got a slew of non-binding directives that speak to the problem, the laws that actually govern the problem, things like the Access to Information Act, for example, are becoming quickly outdated. Canada really needs to get ahead of the ball in understanding and modeling how its own domestic laws are going to have to grapple with these obligations that are being imported into its law through these trade agreements. I have a series of discrete recommendations throughout. For example, I do think we need to think very carefully about how we're going to legislate trade secrets. I think that's going to come at some point. We should be very mindful of creating a Canadian flavor law that protects Canadian values. We need to do the same when it comes to source code, data localization, and data flows. Is there anything that domestic lawmakers can do to avoid this kind of an issue? Canada has a lot of people working in digital economy-related issues, providing really interesting solutions. And yet, a lot of their solutions are not translated into law and policy to our misfortune. There's a little bit of a fear of innovating in the law in Canada. Our approach here has been very much to react, to follow the provisions that have come along elsewhere. This is an area where that's eminently not something we should do. Technology is developing so quickly, and the laws around technology create imbalances in power so effectively that we need to be really upping our game at developing made-in-Canada legal solutions. One of the laws a lot of Canadians will be familiar with from the United States is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It's the law that protects social media platforms in particular from liability for the messages and materials that circulate on their networks. It's often called the law that enabled the internet to develop. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has also presented a huge challenge for how we make social media platforms more responsible. It presents a huge obstacle to us to act. And one of the problems is that under KUSMA, we essentially incorporated Section 230, but we only did it partially. And if you look at work that's come out of the University of Ottawa from people like Professor Vivek Krishnamurti, They've developed arguments that we've incorporated part of the law. We've incorporated the legal part of the law, but we haven't incorporated the equity part of the law. Could we turn social media companies into information fiduciaries? And there's a lot of scholarship out there that suggests that this might be a way to pull back some of the excesses that we've seen from social media companies. 
we've been really shy to innovate legal solutions here. That's indicated by the fact that our privacy laws are so outdated. We haven't updated them since before the iPhone. What we've tried to do through some of the non-binding directives that talk about artificial intelligence, that talk about open government and so forth, they don't really have any teeth. Their effect is not in law. They're sort of like guidelines or best practices. What we really need to do is shed this reluctance to innovate in our privacy law and to embrace some really made-in Canada solutions. There's a lot of people out there in Canadian academia, in Canadian think tanks, in Canadian research organizations that are spending a lot of time on these issues and coming up with novel solutions. It's just a matter of becoming a little bit more bold and taking some of those solutions and bringing them into reality. My call for more made-in-Canada solutions requires people who are drafting these laws to kind of exhibit some of the competitiveness that we need economic actors to exhibit. Right now, our law in this space is really reactive. We're participating in the copy and paste exercise. We're not innovating in the law, and so we're going to be a step behind when it comes to the benefits that come from it. That's what my goal was in addressing these four discrete areas, was to draw attention to how they might be discrete in trade agreements, but the folks who have got those into trade agreements know precisely why they're so important to defend. One of the risks of not getting this done right is that we won't be putting values that I think are really important to Canadians, like human rights, at the center of our policies governing the digital economy creating a privacy law that emphasizes human rights, creating a laws surrounding the transparency and accountability of source code that emphasize human rights. What we're seeing is Canada is always on the other side of the barrier. And so that's a position of disadvantage. And that's going to hurt us when it comes to Canadian competitiveness, because that's the posture we're currently in. Matt, it's been great talking with you. Your research has a number of very concrete recommendations Canada is a trading nation, obviously, and we need to have these agreements, but making sure that we don't undermine the things that are important to Canada and to Canadians through these negotiations is a pretty critical part. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Thank you. This was fun. You can check out Matt's research by following the link in the episode description. If you like what you hear, leave us a comment or a rating on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. For more podcasts, research, commentary, and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.